Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, one of the creators of the HBO show Somebody Somewhere talks about why those Midwest vibes are so important. Instead of leaving the place you're from, I think the the sort of beauty of the show is getting to look at these prairie fields and these things that you were taking for granted and seeing kind of the beauty in that. Plus the latest in our nerdy job series. This time it's a professional TV watcher. I love to think of my job as still sort of being back at the video store or working at a bookstore. But first time to unpack some of the wild and wonderful things from the week that was with us this week. We have the two hosts of the Vox podcast today explained Noel King and Sean Ramos from Welcome You Two. Thanks for having us. Hello. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay, so we're starting with the Olympics again. Not my strong suit, but some interesting stuff. Uh, The 2022 Winter Olympics wrap up this weekend. There have been some great moments. There's been an effort for a more diverse field of athletes. The first black woman won a gold in speed skating for the U.S. But like almost all Olympics, there's been plenty of drama and scandal. Human rights issues with China. Also questions around doping. Uh, One thing that I thought was really interesting, especially as a self-identifying snow snob who grew up in Alaska is that Hmm. all of the snow in the competitions is man-made or almost all of it anyway because climate change has made it so difficult to count on enough snow being available. So as we close out the games, my question, we're zooming out, is like, should the Winter Olympics even exist? (laughs) Now, Sean, I know you're an Olympics nerd. What do you think? It's it's a really interesting question. Should, Should they exist or perhaps... Should we just always do these things in the exact same place? Like, like the summer's always in Greece because of, you know, history and the winter's always in, I don't know. It's harder and harder to say where the winter would be. Even in Canada, in Whistler, which you would think is, you know, dependable snow where they had the Winter Olympics a few Olympics ago, they were trucking in and helicoptering in snow, at least at these games in Beijing where historically... You know, they had to make all of the snow. They were still making it there. They had to like reroute a bunch of water, I think, but they weren't like trucking it in and helicoptering it in as far as I know. But it is increasingly difficult and and problematic, especially like the energy consumption to make that much snow. It's bananas. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of glory and a lot of, you know, gold. So you you don't want to say let's not do the winter games, I guess, but How to do it in a way that isn't just like a knife in the heart of the planet is a fair question, I think. Mm. Well, yeah. And I don't know. It's fascinating, too, thinking about, yeah, like a northern climate that even now is consistently cold enough. Because even in Alaska, like the Iditarod, you know, these dog sled races, sometimes they're just like running through mud at this point. Really? Not even. Yeah. I mean, it has happened for sure. So, yeah. Noelle, how much are you following the snow situation? (laughs) 
Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I have yeah. watched not a single second of the Winter Olympics. <laughs> In theory, I love the Olympics because the whole world gets together and does yeah. a thing. I think this year is super interesting because of what is going on. In what is going on in Ch- in China with respect to human rights and the Uyghur yeah. people, and there's this there's this negativity to it that has made me very sad, uh, in a way that made me not even want to watch the opening ceremony. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sitting this Olympics out. Yeah, I do feel like there's just I don't know. It's interesting thinking about what you're bringing up, and even in the context of like the great irony of all of these people coming together, but also the fact that like if we need to manufacture this, like use energy to manufacture the snow. Because we're using so much energy and like slowly destroying the planet, it's sort of like, is this is this celebration like what we need to be focusing on or should we be putting our efforts in other places at this juncture, you know? Maybe there's another thing the world could get behind. Like, what right. would that be if not the Olympics? What if we had like a like a cook off, you know? Cook off, <laughs> like in the world's collective yes. backyards, yes. we just got together <laughs> and did like a Top Chef style cooking competition. This I love. And represented like the world's like cuisines because everyone loves to eat. You yeah. know, we can bond over food. Yeah, totally. Yes. No, that sounds great. Actually, like a giant tailgate, essentially. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) Okay, so another big story from this week that y'all did report on, too, actually, is about what's happening in Canada. Truckers are protesting a vaccine mandate. There was a border blockade in the nation's capital. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau declared a national emergency. The police chief of Ottawa resigned over it. Now, Sean, you're from Canada. You did a story about this recently as well. So, like, what is happening? Speaking of big tents, you know, this, this trucker convoy appears to have... A lot of different designs uh, on the uh, a lot of different designs, a lot of different intentions. Uh, you know, some of them seem hateful. Some of them are making like sort of plastic makeshift hot tubs and just hanging out and drinking beers. <laughs> as far as I can tell, it's hard to peg as one thing. I think a lot of people around the world have well, firstly, been inspired by them, which is. A whole other question. But a lot of people around the world are saying things like I I see these headlines that are like a very un-Canadian protest. You know, your typically polite Canadians have really gotten, you know, kind of mean and ugly and all this stuff. And I feel like. Well, yeah, they do kind of seem like our nice northern. As someone who's never been to Canada, like that's my impression. He's like, oh, they get health care. You know, like it must be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And as someone who grew up in Canada, I would just say that's a misconception. Canadians can be mean. Canadians can be racist. Canadians have a history of mistreating their indigenous peoples, Mm -hmm. as you probably heard. In in recent months, actually, you probably heard about that story. And so I think it's it's another reminder that Canada is just another country that has a whole host of problems. And and those problems have clearly, you know, yet to be resolved. And and now, you know, one of the more, I'd say, scary conclusions of our episode that we did on it this week is that we might see a trucker convoy like the one in Ottawa pop up here in D.C. where Noelle and I both live. And I got to say, I'm not looking forward to it if that's the case. Mm, yeah. So, Noelle, what stands out to you about this story? Sean is making this really good point. There are people there who have who are displaying racist imagery. There are also people there who just seem like they're chilling. And the question becomes, what makes it worth it for people who seemingly have wildly divergent views on a lot of things to all get together on this one particular thing and, and hang out and protest? And I have covered a lot of protests in my time as a reporter. And 
I think one of the things that started to emerge over the last few years is how you can speak to 10, 10 people at any event like this. And they're all there for 10 different reasons. And if you put two of them, if, you, if you're like, hey, let's grab two of you and have you talk it out, you would realize they do not know why the other one is there. Hmm. And they totally disagree on what the point of the whole thing is. It's just like it's a chance to be in a crowd. And I think we are at a very unhappy time, unfortunately, in human history in a lot of ways. And people just want to be in crowds and be able to express their frustration. Yeah. So, Sean, do you think Americans are invested enough in this story? I mean, it's obviously like it's been on the news. Y'all covered it. I've been hearing a lot about it on NPR, too. But like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you think we should be keeping an eye out more on what's happening? It's I mean, they've raised millions and millions of dollars. And I believe a fair sum of that money is flowing in from the United States. So it does seem like something Americans are paying attention to, whether they're, you know, looking on in fear or in admiration in some cases, mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, you 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 can't downplay the influence of this trucker convoy in Canada and the success of it. I mean, Amsterdam, New Zealand, uh, Paris, potentially Washington, D.C. It's it's significant. They cracked this code. And it's very simple. It comes down to using trucks. Mm-hmm. Using trucks was this ingenious sort of evolution of, of, of protest, I guess, that, that is now getting the attention of the entire world, it seems. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so something decidedly less newsy from this week happened to me, at least, where, like, I got way too fired up about something I saw on Twitter and drafted, like, half a dozen responses. (laughs) Um, And it was it's about spoilers. It's, like, not at all important, but it's important in my heart, apparently. And I was just really curious where you two fall on the spectrum. So the tweet was from Bob Mondello, who's NPR's film critic. And he actually was, like, a quote tweet from Eric Deggins, who's TV critic there. I admire both of their work very much, but both of them were like, mass spoilers, like get over it, essentially. And Mondello, especially, he said spoilers were like invented by film studios so that people would go see movies as soon as possible. And that, you know, if a movie really is good, plot doesn't actually matter because it's all about execution anyway. So you could know what happens and still really appreciate the film. I completely get that argument, but I also extremely disagree as a person who, you know, is extremely spoiler averse. Like, I don't read the back of the book before I read the book because mm. it shapes too much what I'm going to experience in the book. So, yeah, I don't know. I was just curious what you two think as people in the culture. Noel, what do you think? I think Bob was talking as a critic and not right. a consumer. And I think that's yeah. su- there's a super interesting distinction here, which is I am obsessed with endings there are right. like endings that I will rewatch. You know what I rewatch a lot? The ending to the movie Melancholia. Huh. The ending of The Sopranos is another one. Sometimes mm. I'll just watch it to cheer myself up and be like, what was he thinking? But I would, I, I can't, I can't get through a thing if I know how it's going to end. Right? I just can't. There has to be suspense for me. So you never saw Titanic? Okay, okay. I saw I saw Titanic because I was sixteen, and Leonardo DiCaprio was hot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the but the the twist with the door we should all acknowledge was like a yeah. Come on. No, I think I think it's legitimate perspective for a critic to take. I really do. And of course, 
the idea that it was ginned up by studio systems. It does make sense, actually, right? For box office. Yeah, I could see that. Something I had never considered. But but no, as as a person who wants to enjoy art um, in in the way that a director and a writer and an editor have conceived of it, do not tell me what's going to happen. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> well, and what I settled on in the tweet that I did finally send in response is like, I actually think it's less about the art and more just about a person's personality. Like I have dear friends who love spoilers and like they would Why? rather know everything that happens <laughs> mm. in the movie before they go see it because then they can sit and relax into it because they already know what's going to happen because oh. that narrative tension stresses them out whereas huh. i think for wow. you and i know well they like... could also not go see movies though <laughs> yeah Play but come cards. on they still want to participate you know so sean you're you're also anti-spoiler i'm getting that vibe i, I think a bigger pet peeve of mine is just trailers that give away way too much of the yes. movie yeah. sometimes i see one of a, of, a, of a movie i'm actually excited to see and then i'm less inclined to want to see it and i think power of the dog is a really good recent example Though I guess maybe that movie isn't for everyone. But the trailer really it didn't appeal to me at all because I couldn't even tell what was going on in the movie. But then I still wanted to see it because, mm. you know, the director and the the stars and the Johnny Greenwood and all this stuff. And then and then I saw it and the movie had me guessing the whole way through. Yes. I didn't ever quite know what it was about. And everything I thought was going to happen either didn't happen or happened in a much smarter way than I thought it would happen. And that was such a thrilling experience because, yes. like, this is what it should be. Like, yes, you showed me a trailer that was, like, intriguing but not really compelling. But the movie's so much better than the trailer. And and I feel like studios or whomever at the helm are just – they're just scared to let people discover what their movies are about in the movie these days. Yeah, there is such a – such a delight in having almost no expectations about something and just showing yeah. up and seeing what happens, you know? And I feel like that exists so in so few opportunities these days that, like, whenever I can have that, I want it, you know? This was so much fun. Noel, Sean, thank you both so much for coming on. Thanks, you guys. This was really fun. Oh, thanks so much for having us. It was a pleasure. Thanks for the laughs. In just a minute, we talk to one of the showrunners behind HBO's bear hug of a show, Somebody Somewhere. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. There's a new HBO series out now. It's called Somebody Somewhere, and it stars Bridget Everett as Sam. She's a 40-something woman who begrudgingly lives in her hometown of Manhattan, Kansas. She feels completely out of place there. She has no obvious career path. She's grieving the death of her sister. Her mom is struggling with alcoholism. I know, I know, it sounds like this show might be a huge bummer, but it actually manages to offer a lot of comfort. And showrunner Hannah Boss says that's kind of the whole point. When our show came out a couple weeks ago and the numbers were high with COVID and just the world felt very negative. And I was like, very grateful that we were putting out something that had some positivity and some hope. 
Hannah, her writing partner Paul Thoreen, and actress Bridget Everett are all from the Midwest, and they wanted to make the show's Midwestern point of view as authentic as possible. You know, there's a lot of people, I think, that write Midwestern characters, and they're not always on the side of the Midwesterner, or it's quirky for silly's sake, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And um, we were just trying to make it in a really authentic way and sort of do things that we sort of uh, experienced growing up, you know, whether it be not talking about things and, you know, it's not like a therapy (laughs) culture, you know, there's a straight shooting kind of way of being from the Midwest in a lot of ways. And then there's also like a total avoidance of certain things. Right, right. I love to, I think partly what made this show so, so special is that like, I mean, it's cast full of people who actually look like people. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, we were kind of going for humans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, cool. How great to see like humans interacting with each other and <laughs> yeah. like, talking about complicated things. And I don't have to be like, what's wrong with my body? Because I'm looking at these bodies. You know what I mean? Totally. And if we had like had to shoot this in L.A., I feel like we'd be like, why does that firmer have perfect teeth? Why does right, everyone, exactly. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> yeah, abs, too, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I think, too, there's also just like a really nice natural beauty to the show, you know? Yeah, I think the Midwest is beautiful. I feel like part of Sam's journey is, you know, being stuck and then deciding not to leave and not to go to a big city, not to go to a big coast and to sort of figure out what she wants from Joel, who sort of opens her up and, you know, singing is kind of her magic power. And instead of leaving the place you're from, I think the the sort of beauty of the show is getting to look at these prairie fields and these things that you were taking for granted and seeing kind of the beauty in that, which I think I got to experience when we were shooting out in cornfields. You know, there was, I had a very trippy moment when I turned to my, you know, co-show runner, Paul Thoreen and we're looking at all this corn and we had been there for many, many days. And we had noticed, you know, how much the corn had grown oh, over the few days amazing. we were there. Yeah. And we were just like very moved by like the, the inches of inching up corn and how it looked like an ocean, you know, it was super yeah. dorky, but I, I was like, Oh, we're very lucky to be shooting in uh, the Midwest. I don't know though. There's a sweetness to that too, that I just think is really like, I love that. Yeah. So you mentioned Sam's friend, Joel, uh, played by Jeff Hiller. He is amazing. Like, it was funny because with this show more than almost any other that I've watched recently, like, you know, I'd be like doing dishes or something. I'm like, I just want to see his face, you know? (laughs) He's a great person, too. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah, Jeff and Bridget's chemistry is just so, uh, I know it's cheesy, but it's very magical. And when they're just like stuck in a car together or just doing something so trivial, it feels very comfortable and safe. And it feels, it feels like some, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what we were going for, which is like this high school, you know, friendship slash love affair slash, you know, gray lines of a relationship with someone new. Totally. So you mentioned them being stuck in a car. We actually have a clip of them sitting in the car (laughs) chatting with each other about their weekends. This is one of my favorite parts. Let's take a listen. Roll the tape. (laughs) I like to lay around drinking wine in my underwear. Uh, It's pretty fucking great. hmm. Hmm. Hmm, What? I don't know. Just sounds a little lonely. Yeah, well... It works for me. Okay. And what do you do with your Saturdays? 
like church outreach stuff mostly. I do ESL. I do youth group mentoring. Today we're packing up uh, donations from the canned good and toiletry drive, and I'm going to set up for choir practice. Every other weekend I have this volunteer gig at the pediatric clinic, and then I do sometimes do clowning for the kids in the hospital. Jesus. You do so much stuff. Eh. I just try to keep busy, make sure that the terror doesn't creep in. <laughs> it's just there. It's just so <laughs> sweet. I just love it so much. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is that with Joel, and he even talks about doing a bunch of church stuff in that clip. Like, there's a really interesting storyline around kind of his own faith and how it doesn't it does and doesn't fit in with like what actual church is. Yeah, And I think there's also the idea that, like, church can actually be a lot of different things, right? And I don't know. It just got me wondering. Like, I know the show was just renewed for a second season. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank goodness. I know, right? Is that something that you're hoping to explore more in season two? I just thought that was such a fascinating thread. I think, you know, Joel is always struggling with his spirituality. Um, and I think that's really a key part of his character, especially mm-hmm. being in this sort of conservative town, you know, just the same way that Sam is opening up from Joel. I think that, you know, Sam is sort of a catalyst also for Joel to sort of open up in certain ways. Once the two of them sort of, you know, intertwine, uh, she kind of unravels his life a little bit and sort of without any spoilers, he starts questioning um, where his spirituality fits in his life and, Mm -hmm. you know, what it really means for him. Um, So that's sort of an ongoing question, I feel like. Yeah, it's just so funny. I mean, again, without spoilers, like there's this moment in this store where he like almost kind of delivers a sermon and like, but there's cursing in it. And it's just, (laughs) it feels so much like him that it's just like, oh, I want more of that. I want like a hundred people in a room to see that and then yell like praise Jesus or whatever. Well, I I can't, I can't tell you what's going to (laughs) happen because we just got picked up and we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But if this is still your dream, if you feel in your soul that this is your calling Then work it the fuck out, okay? (laughs) Now somebody ring up this nice person. I'll take care of it. Thank you so much. So Paul said something that I thought was really interesting in an interview recently about this show. And he said that you two both like to write about stuff that, that kind of typically takes place like either before or after where most shows happen. Right. And I think that really fits with somebody somewhere, right? Because there's like, there's the show where Sam moves in with her sister to take care of her sick sister. Um, There's also the show where Sam like finally kind of breaks through and decides to use her talent to get the hell out of town. Um, What's so appealing to you about that in-between space? You know, um, it's something we think about a lot. Um, Sometimes when we're, when we were writing plays, we'd also, we'd often be like, well, that line sounds like a play or that's, you know, like we like the unexpected choices. Um, and in this show, it's fun to um, play against what you typically typically think you're going to see. Or sometimes we, um, you know, we'll skip, basically we'll skip showing you the exact on the nose conversation that you would assume you'd see, because we want to keep it sort of more to real life where, mm-hmm. you know, Paul and I sometimes describe, you know, on the night of a terrible accident, you might not see the accident, but you might like remember 
you know, the meal you had the night before. Right, right. And that's what, you, that's sort of the, that's sort of what you're holding on to. You're like, I can't believe we ate that meal together. And the next morning, everything changed. And I feel like the tone of that is sort of where, where the Carolyn Strauss, our wonderful producer says, you know, a lot of this show sort of exists in the cracks mm. and it's a, uh, it's a fun place to explore where I don't feel like you get to do that very often. And the beauty of this world is we do get to. Well, and I think too, there's so many, beautiful analogies around sort of like the stuff that grows in the cracks you know Mm -hmm. and like what a gift that stuff ends up feeling like just because it's sort of against all odds you know like Mm, that's so exciting to get to spend time there totally um yeah it's fun to have scenes that you don't usually see or you know just change the form a little bit it's it's very fun to um write for this world I bet. So we have one more clip and I think it kind of speaks to what you're talking about. And this is Sam and she's like standing out in the field with her dad. And that's all I'll say. We'll just take a listen. Yeah, I've heard about these rehab places where where people fall madly in love with each other. Um, dad, I can guarantee that nobody's going to fall madly in love with mom. I suppose she comes home and she stopped her drinking and they, she realizes that she she can do better. let myself go a bit dad there's nobody better than you huh it was a big hot fox (laughs) your daddy (laughs) bhf (laughs) i'm gonna start using bhf by the way i love it so much (laughs) that's a I God, his delivery of oh. that is just so, so hilarious to me. Mike Haggerty. Oh, my gosh. American treasure. Amazing. That kind of speaks to what you're talking about in terms of like conversation, because that is the conversation, but that's also not the conversation, arguably. Yes. Right? Like her dad is super scared about all sorts of things that could change. And he's like maybe chosen one that is completely ridiculous, but like the one that he most feels comfortable voicing to her right well that's like in real life sometimes when I'm worried I'll obsess about the dumbest thing Mm -hmm. you know like (laughs) you're like it's really not about that but that's the thing that you can hold on to because the real thing is much more horrible to actually worry about you know yeah yeah Yeah, I love that scene well and especially like the perfection of then because she can be like dad shut up like you're the best it's fine you know like that's such a comfort of like the ridiculous concern as you can voice it to a friend and they can be like that's ridiculous <laughs> you yes know? yes i just think it's perfect thank you for making such a big hot box of a show <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna start using that too <laughs> We are back with another installment of our Nerdy Job series where we get to know some of the people who help make the stuff we love in very interesting and behind-the-scenes way. This week, Sherry Gulmohammed. She's an editorial insights strategist for Netflix. That's a very fancy way of saying I watch movies and TV shows for a living. For hours each day, Sherry literally binges Netflix for work in order to assign metadata to movies and shows. Metadata is data about data. 
So basically, a Sherry watch is something she's checking boxes to help people find stuff they might like. For example, maybe you, like me, are watching Inventing Anna on Netflix this week. On the show page, it says the show is scandalous. You can click the word scandalous and find hundreds of other things that people like Sherry and her colleagues have also categorized as scandalous. Sherry says she goes through hundreds and hundreds of labels for every show. Things like quirky, irreverent, raunchy. And then there are storylines, you know, fighting the system, um, science and tech gone wrong. That's one of my favorite ones. We do have every single kind of thing that could attack you. Bears, bugs, you know, crabs. I don't know if there's actual crabs. Oh, here's a really great one. I believe we have a tag. It's like evil children. (laughs) Any kind of crime you could do, anything you can think of, we probably have a tag for it. Tagging is important for a couple of reasons. It helps inform what the platform recommends to you, of course. Scandalous. Yes, more scandalous, please. But also this way, stuff is properly marked if it's explicit in some way. We don't want people to sit down with their children to watch something because we told them it was appropriate, and then it isn't. Sherry can power through a full season of a show in just a couple of days, but she's not, like, vegging out with popcorn the whole time. I'm taking a lot of notes. I am working while I'm watching. I stand up while I watch. Even when she's watching something that she may not like, she is happy to know that her tags might help someone else find it and be delighted by it. I love to think of my job as still sort of being back at the video store or working at a bookstore. Even when you are shelving books or putting away movies in the olden times, um, these, these, were, these are all things that someone was going to pick up and, and take home with them. And that's still, it's the same feeling I get here, even though it's digital. And yes, if you were wondering, she still watches TV for pleasure on the weekends, but she will actually sit on the couch for that. All right, that's it for now. I want to give a big shout out to everybody who came to our Hearts and Crafts event earlier this week. I hope y'all had fun. I thought it was a blast. If you missed it, don't worry. You can actually find a link to the recording in our Facebook group. Just search for Nerdette Headquarters or you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash HQ. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. We will see you on Tuesday with Book Club. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.